dedicated to the survival of American democracy in an increasingly dangerous world, this is Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney, acted as Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy under President Ronald Reagan, founder of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., the go-to man for defense and foreign policy issues, joined by the greatest minds in the security policy business, the special forces in the war of ideas at Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. A man of considerable intelligence who has brought it to bear with great distinction in the uniform of the United States Marine Corps, also in international business, much of it in the Far East, and not least as a senior fellow these days of the Center for Security Policy, is our first guest. His name is Colonel Grant Newsom, United States Marines, retired. He is um, a man that I frequently have the privilege of consulting about China and the challenge that we face from that quarter. And we're going to be talking about it a lot in the course of this program, but I'm very pleased to be able to lead off with Grant Newsom. Colonel, thank you for joining us, sir. It's good to have you back. Glad to be here. I wanted to visit with you most immediately, Grant, about the subject of a webinar that you did with uh, Stephen Bryant, another of our senior fellows at the Center for Security Policy recently, concerning an invasion of Taiwan and how China might go about it. Um, First of all, talk a little bit, if you would, about whether this is in prospect, as you see it, uh, is uh, the Chinese People's Liberation Army um, now capable of undertaking an attack? And if so, uh, in the near future? Uh, yes, it is capable of launching an assault on Taiwan. And more importantly, the, the Chinese might think they actually have a, a pretty good prospects of succeeding if they do it. Um, of course, the Chinese would prefer to have Taiwan give up without a fight. And that's why all of the uh, harassment, the intimidation, uh, the, the threat of aircraft and ships and such like, uh, and efforts to subvert the Taiwanese government and the population, that's why that is going full speed ahead. But in terms of a, a military attack, I think the Chinese think they could uh, have pretty good prospects if they were to try it. And that is on the menu. The rhetoric has certainly been becoming more belligerent, as have these various aggressive acts. Um, This raises, of course, um, a question of the prospect that this might not just happen at some point, which has, of course, been out there for a long time, but that it might be um, something that could occur sooner rather than later for a variety of reasons, uh, some of them having to do probably with internal political dynamics inside China, as well as their perception of the window of opportunity that has been created by the Biden administration perhaps, or the condition of the United States military. How would you characterize the likelihood that something may happen sooner rather than later, Colonel? I would be inclined to say it's pretty high. And keep in mind that the uh, the incoming uh, commander of U.S. Indo-PACOM, that's all the U.S. forces in the Pacific, uh, he said that rather than 2027 as a, a possible time in which an attack could happen, as his predecessor had just said, Congress, uh, the incoming commander said it could happen sooner than that. So uh, think of 2027 as uh, sort of the, the the latest it might happen, according to the commanders out there uh, in the Pacific. Uh, think of something sooner than that. 
uh, within a few years, and the Chinese might like, uh, as I said earlier, might like their prospects as they uh, look at things, particularly the state of the the United States' uh, ability to uh, to ward off an attack. This raises the question which you got into at some length in the webinar conducted, and people can find that at securefreedom.org. Um, the kinds of techniques the Chinese would almost surely utilize, were they to decide to go for it in Taiwan? Could, could you walk us through the main features of that as you see them now? Sure. Um, what the, the Chinese are capable of doing is moving large numbers of troops across the, the Taiwan Strait. It's only about 100 miles wide. They are able to do that. Now, they have the, the ships and the aircraft, the helicopters to move that. Uh, this would take place, of course, in the context of a very strong missile offensive but against Taiwan. You'd have the, the Chinese Navy and Air Force out and about uh, controlling things and causing all sorts of trouble. And then there would also be cyber attacks, electronic warfare, uh, and even outer space. Uh, you'd have any both Taiwanese and also our satellites uh, shut down, most likely. And this all uh, can include a, an aggressive fifth column effort uh, in Taiwan. The Chinese had 60 years to get this in place. So expect uh, all sorts of confusion, all sorts of uh, violence going on in the event of an attack. It isn't just a, sort of a flotilla sailing across the Taiwan Strait. There's a lot of other supporting activities going along uh, to slip in the invasion force. Yes. I, I found it fascinating what you described in terms of the lengths the Chinese have gone to over the years to uh, grant to basically put into place that fifth column element, um, the uh, subversive forces uh, that might open up, as you put it, uh, airfields or ports to a Chinese invading force. Um, you seem to be suggesting in the webinar that uh, that danger may have waned a bit from the peak of six or seven years ago. Um, talk about that, if you would, and uh, how well the Taiwanese are doing in countering such a, an enemy within problem. Well, the Taiwanese are doing better than they were, as you said, six or seven years ago. Uh, the Chinese uh, have had their political supporters, that means politicians, who are basically pro-China. Uh, they have the academic class bought off, uh, and you also have uh, parts of the Taiwanese media that are pro-China, uh, etc. But that is somewhat waned a bit because the Taiwanese government uh, woke up and they started paying attention to this. They started cracking down uh, on it. But also the biggest thing is that uh, most young Taiwanese don't want anything to do with the People's Republic of China. So if it's by and large your older generation that where you would find these the quiz ladies, these traitors basically, uh, well, since it's an, it's an older generation, there's fewer and fewer of them as they leave the scene. Uh, and young Taiwanese, as I said, they want nothing to do with uh, the PRC. Everyone saw what happened in Hong Kong, and they know that that is what would happen in Taiwan. So in terms of the public at large, uh, there is 
very, very little support for the People's Republic of China or becoming part of it. Uh, so that's why the, the Chinese fifth column efforts are not as uh, effective or potentially effective as they would have been not all that long ago. So that is something that has shifted and not in China's favor. Unfortunately, some of the things that you described in terms of um, their lift capability, uh, aerial and seaborne, and uh, their missile forces, and their um, amphibious assault capabilities, uh, their aircraft um, power projection uh, assets, have trended in the opposite direction. They are more formidable, certainly, than they were six or seven years ago. I think you would agree. Would you know? Oh, yes. It's, uh, just go, it gets better and better from the Chinese perspective. Their military capabilities uh, to launch an attack against Taiwan, but also beyond that to, as you said, project power means to move forces uh, anywhere in the region or on the globe, potentially. And those have just improved uh, by the year. Uh, they've still got a ways to go to get to the far ends of the earth, but in terms of the region, they can move all sorts of forces uh, wherever they want. And one of the problems here is their ability to potentially uh, interdict or to sort of ward off the American efforts to provide support to Taiwan in the event of an attack. And that is a genuine concern. Yeah, that level of uh, capability has definitely improved dramatically as, as well. Um, this brings me to a question uh, that uh, has been prompted, and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, subject with Gordon Chang momentarily, but uh, the Chinese have suggested in response to statements by uh, one of the senior Japanese officials that uh, Japan's military forces would come to the assistance together with uh, the United States military, um, the Taiwanese in the event that they are attacked. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about um, specifically uh, the signaling by the Chinese that they would use nuclear weapons uh, successively, apparently, to uh, respond to any such Chinese, excuse me, any such Japanese actions. Um, talk about Japan. You're based there. Uh, you've studied it closely. Uh, you understand, I think, probably as well as anybody, certainly non-Japanese expert, um, the thinking going on inside the government and uh, its defense policies as a result. But what do you make of this particular idea that there may be unconventional capabilities, shall we say, uh, brought to bear as well as conventional ones in the event that this does go ugly. Oh, yes. In recent times, we had the Japanese vice prime minister and vice defense minister both make comments saying that effectively Taiwan's defense is Japan's defense. And if something happens to Taiwan, then uh, Japan has to get involved. They didn't get more specific than that, but they would... Uh, according to what they said, certainly work with the Americans to support Taiwan. Uh, and that does reflect the thinking of a good bit of uh, the Japanese government, the conservative parts in particular, uh, and also the, the Japanese military. Um, but in response to these comments that really are just saying what everybody already knows and thinks, uh, the, the Chinese responded in predictable fashion. And what you had is you had some small, some regional Communist Party entity put out a couple of videos uh, warning that 
if Japan sent even one soldier to help Taiwan, that China would sort of launch nuclear weapon after nuclear weapon after uh, against Japan. Uh, it's really it's like the, the Mongols in the 13th century trying to scare people, but it really is not what civilized nations do. You have to keep in mind, of course, that one might say, well, it was just some local communist party group. You know, in China, that things like this do not get put out and kept out, kept online uh, without the uh, approval at the very highest levels. If the Chinese government did not want this to appear, it would have been shut down immediately. It didn't happen. And that tells you what the Chinese think and also gives you some good ideas about the nature of that regime. As I said, it is positively uh, medieval in its barbarity. Would you, in that same spirit, expect, Grant Newsom, that the Chinese would use another kind of uh, unconventional weapon, uh, given particularly what we've all been through with COVID-19, namely biological agents against Taiwan? Oh, oh I'd certainly uh, expect that. Uh, you really cannot rule out anything. Uh, and I would think that the biological attack would indeed be something that uh, the Chinese would consider a, a good option. That's, there's no other way to put it. This raises, I guess, the multi-billion dollar question, probably. Uh, what do we do about all of this, Grant Newsom? Um, as you know, uh, back in April, um, our Committee on the Present Danger China, uh, with considerable input from uh, uh, Colonel John Mills, one of our other distinguished military retirees, a sort of plan of action for the United States, both in its own right and in terms of what it might do to help enhance Taiwan's deterrent capabilities. Um, without getting into a lot of the detail, and there is a lot of detailed uh, recommendation in this uh, paper, but um, what are the things that jump out at you most in terms of trying to uh, instill a sense once again of uh, deterrence in the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, and we'll be talking again about this with uh, Gordon, but I'd be very keen to get your thoughts on it, sir, particularly on the military side. Okay, well, of course, on the military side, that you have to make clear to the Chinese that an invasion will not succeed, uh, or uh, sort of any sort of assault on Taiwan will be not, not just fair or failure, but that the Chinese Communist Party, and particularly its leadership, will lose everything. They will lose their condominiums in America, their bank accounts, their relative green cards, and they will lose it all. Uh, China will go back to being an agrarian society, trading with North Korea and Iran and nobody else. Um, it has to be that clear. And to do that, though, you have got to get the U.S. military up to speed so it can actually uh, win a fight with the Chinese. And currently, it, it, it cannot. Uh, it might succeed in certain circumstances, but the U.S. military's capability to fight against an enemy like Taiwan, or excuse me, like China, uh, have been allowed to lapse over the last you know, 30 years. And that is a fault, the fault of core military civilian leadership. But also you have to use our economic and financial power against uh, the People's Republic of China, particularly against the Chinese Communist Party and its top leadership. And so it can't just be a military response, but it also has to be more multi-pronged, particularly with military and propaganda aspects to it as well. Uh, we also, Taiwan has to improve its own defenses, and those too have not been, been 
uh, developed as they should. And particularly, they need to uh, work on improving the, the personnel or the, the attractiveness of service in the Taiwan military as a profession, but also as a national duty. It needs to improve its reserve systems uh, as well, and it needs some uh, particular hardware uh, as well. But Taiwan does have a formidable force, but it needs to be uh, brought up and, and quickly. These are the sorts of things that are described in greater detail in our paper at presentdangerchina.org, and I commend that to you as a great resource as well. Um, I, I will just say, Grant, that the prospects here of taking some of the steps we need to in a timely way, um, rebuilding you know, our Pacific fleet, for example, uh, are clearly going to be um, too long in coming to uh, to have an impact in the short term on deterrence. But there are things that we can do by prepositioning and equipping and moving assets uh, into Taiwan that uh, I think could really make a difference in the Chinese calculation. And I pray that we will get about them uh, because I think, as you say, time is not on our side at the moment. Grant Newsom, thank you for your service to our country, both in uniform as a foreign service officer, um, as a businessman, and of course now as a a senior fellow of the Center for Security Policy. We appreciate you very much and your time today is especially appreciated. Come back to us again soon with updates on all of this, if you would. Next up, we'll get into more of this and uh, some other topics as well with the great Gordon Chang. Straight ahead. Visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney.